Come on. Good evening. <laughs> okay, we are in Second Kings, Chapter Six. Does anyone need a Bible? If you do, please raise your hand. A couple Bibles over here. Okay, announcements. Boston Rescue Mission this Friday, is that right? In addition to that, a ministry meeting, what's the date of that? 29th of September, anyone interested in ministry, but also actually a mandatory min uh, meeting for anyone who's in ministry. The 29th of September at Cambridgeport, Baptist Church, a sister church of ours. What else, Glenda? Anything else? Women's Bible study. How could you forget that, Glenda? Women's Bible study starts a week from this Tuesday. <laughs> a week from this Tuesday right here, uh, up actually on the fifth floor. That's where they'll be right again. They just uh, had their break for the summer. But it'll, yeah, it'll be on the fifth floor. And that is a, a thriving, joy-filled, spirit-led Bible study. Wonderful Bible study that the women have. I've been really excited about that ministry and the way that it's developed. They, they uh, have taken the summer off and will be starting again a week from this Tuesday. What are you going to be going through, Stephanie? Second Timothy? All right, Second Timothy. They'll be going through a K. Arthur study. So, um, women, you can be praying about that. Anything else? What's that? The home fellowship. We have home fellowship this Wednesday and this Friday. That's true. Friday's Boston Rescue Mission. Sorry. It'd be helpful if I had a bulletin up here. Anyway, it would be real helpful if Dave came up here and did announcements. But uh, anyway, let's pray before we begin. We'll be in uh, verse 8. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. And Lord, how rich, Lord, uh, First and Second Kings, how much uh, already, Lord God. We've been so blessed uh, by your word. And I just pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, you would speak to us this evening. Speak to us where we're at, Lord. We're all coming in here, Lord, from a different place, Lord, with different issues and different things going on in our life. And I just pray, Father, that and we're just believing, Lord, that you'll meet us here. We come to change, Lord, circumcise our hearts anew this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 8, now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants, saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him, and thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So over and over again, Elisha the prophet was able to forewarn the king of Israel as to what the movements of the, of the Syrians were. Therefore, the heart of the Syria, king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, he thought there was a spy. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. So therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. 
And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding this, the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes and that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was when they had come to Samaria uh, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And there they were, inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go on, uh, on to their uh, master. And he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. And so, here we are again. The nation of Israel under David, the, the kingdom that David had established, had been divided into two when his grandson took power. Jeroboam left and took ten tribes with him. And so, much of the rest of the first and second kings uh, really since that time, or really Second Kings, was, uh, is really about Israel, about the northern kingdom. Even though uh, not a single king uh, in the north was ever really to repent, there was not even one good king, the, the Lord just continues to send his prophets to them over and over and over again. I mean, this king here uh, that is... Uh, that he's dealing with here is uh, a wicked king. And nevertheless, he's being shown miracles. He's being shown about uh, the, uh, the power of God, that God cares about uh, them, that, that God wants to protect them. God wants to prevent them from annihilation. I mean, in, in, kingdo in the kingdoms in the world at this time, uh, you know, you were attacked by an enemy army, they'd wipe you out completely. And still the, the, the Israel rebelled. You know, I was just, uh, I don't know if any of you noticed this week, but uh, the, uh, they, they discovered these old beehives in Israel. Anyone see that? Come on. One, two, anyone else? All right. Three, four. All right. Good. Yeah, so uh, I thought it was just me with these weird eccentric stories that I, I read sometimes. But uh, really incredible story, though. They somehow they not not actually not beehives, right? They were the bee. What do you call them? Where you where you manufacture where, where honey is manufactured? Bee combs inside those whatever's uh, uh, that, that that they use. And and anyway, they were um, they were all they were these things that made out of clay, you know, and where the honey would be, I guess, harvested. And uh, they discovered this in northern Israel. And these things date back to uh, 1,000 years BC. And, and the archaeologists are all like, wow, this is great. Uh, but you know, it was really sad to read. I don't know if you all that read the article picked this up, but it was really sad to read that it said that right in the same vicinity um, of these uh, beehives, which were in Israel, were these uh, these pagan idols, and so by this time, uh, the, it was a th about a thousand years BC, actually, what it was, 
Uh, by that time, uh, these people w had, had rebelled and they were in full idolatry. And here we have archaeologists uh, 3,000 years later. I mean, what a tragedy. Uh, you know, and we have to ask ourselves, um, God forbid that Jesus would tarry for 2,000 years and not come before, but, you know, what are we doing in our lives that's going to be unearthed 2,000 uh, years, uh, or for that matter, in 50 years? But, but uh, the uh, really sad thing, and, and this is right around the very time where you have the ministry of Elijah the prophet. And, and, it, and Elijah, and, 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 and yet God still keeps sending these prophets, doing the miracles, protecting them from their enemies just miraculously, but they refuse to repent. It's just, you know, a truly amazing thing. Uh, and so here you have the, the, uh, the Syrians, and, you know, I don't know if any of you are in a place right now where there is just reason to, to fear because of just the circumstances in your life. And maybe, you know, you don't have uh, an army of Syrians camped around you, uh, but you have some other situation that's just causing a, a lot of fear. And here, you know, there's just an encouragement for you uh, in this chapter that those who are for you are so much more than those who are against you. Or, you know, if you're, perhaps you're, you will this week uh, be with someone uh, who is a believer who just just beginning to fear, they're beginning to freak out because of the circumstances that they're in. Uh, and uh, two things we can learn by application from the lesson this evening. Uh, to do in that situation. The first is to remind them. You know, sometimes it's just good to get a reminder of something we know, but it's great to get it from someone just who says it out loud, like, fear not, God is with you. You know, it's such a simple thing. We have heard that so many times, but sometimes we just, we're in, the, we're, we're in a, a situation that's causing us a lot of fear. We just need to hear it. Uh, be not dismayed, for he is your God. Uh, but, but in addition to that, pray, offer the prayer of intercession for that person that, that they might see spiritual reality. And so um, I just love this story where you know, Elisha is sitting in this room in Dothan, and there's an army of Syrians uh, around him, and the, his, uh, his servant's like, you know, what are we going to do? <laughs> and you just get the picture of Elisha just sitting there, whatever. Uh, I don't know what they were doing, uh, you know, we was doing uh, back then. I don't know what prophets did in their spare time, but uh, whittling a stick or something, I don't know. Uh, uh, but he just continues uh, on whittling his stick and not the slightest bit worried. And it was interesting. It's, it, 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 it's, he doesn't even appear that he looks up to see this incredibly huge army, army of the Lord, because he knows the army is there. And what, what a, just a tremendous place uh, to be in. doesn't even have to look up. Uh, he knows that the, uh, the army is there. Uh, and then he prays to intercede that the uh, Lord, verse 17, I pray, open his eyes uh, that he may see. And then it says, and then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mount was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Remember when Jacob, we talked about this a while back, went to, uh, went to bed I went to sleep one night in the middle of the wilderness on a stone, and he had this vision of uh, angels uh, on, a, on a stairway from heaven coming up and down. And so he got a picture of the spiritual reality that he was, uh, that was really uh, existed in his life every day. 
I mean, he was the his uh, grandfather was the beginning of the line of, uh, uh, or was in the line of the Messiah, and he would, you know, he he was in the line of the Messiah, and you can bet there was an enormous amount of spiritual activity right around Jacob. Uh, but it's believe it or not, uh, it's it's not unlike that with us. That uh, we have this this wonderful wonderful. Uh, protection, this army of the Lord. The Bible says that the army of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And uh, that's just a, that's a reality uh, that's, that's out there and it's real. And so that prayer of intercession, Lord, I pray that you would open uh, his eyes or open her eyes uh, that he or she may see and, and, and just the, the encouragement that it is when you really understand uh, that the, Lord, uh, the Lord's army, the Lord's host uh, is there and the protection is there. And so uh, they're all struck blind, this, uh, this huge army. And the king of, of Israel uh, their first reaction, verse 21, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And, you know, that's, that is the reaction of, of carnal man. Uh, it's always retribution. Uh, that's, that's what it always is. Uh, but uh, here you see in verse 22, you shall not kill them. Uh, would you kill those whom you have uh, taken a captive with your sword and your bow, set food and water before them. So it says in verse 23, he prepares a banquet for them. Prepares a banquet for them. You know, I think of uh, Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 20. It says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not uh, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that's the weapon of warfare that... Uh, we use as, as, as Christians. Now, uh, you know, you can look at this picture of, uh, of Elisha here, and just the behavior here is so unusual for the ancient world, which is just unbelievably uh, barbaric. Uh, you know, what he does here, he takes the, 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 the enemy, and, and rather than just slaughtering them, he leads them to a place where they, you know, death is, go is certain, and then he grants them mercy. And so here you have a foreshadowing of Christ, a picture of salvation in Christ. Uh, we were like the Syrians, warring against God. The Bible says that, uh, that um, uh, the carnal man uh, is at enmity against God or wars against God. Uh, because it's not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. And so we were at war with him uh, in our lives. And uh, that's just like the Syrians. And, and uh, we were blinded, uh, you know, by our sin. Uh, but we heard uh, the voice of the Holy Spirit or someone showing us the word, saying, this is the way. This is the way. And... Uh, that is what Elisha told them in verse 19. This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And so uh, it's, uh, th that's the good news, the Holy Spirit saying, you know, you're, you're, the way you're going is not the way you want to go. Let me, let me take you to the man that you seek. And then uh, so he follows him, and he leads them into the presence of the people of God. And, and, and again, that's what happens uh, when a person is drawn into the body of, of Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 18, about the birth of the church in Corinth. Many people were drawn into the church, uh, just as Elisha's drawing this army. And then, uh, rather than annihilation, rather than condemnation, uh, they are given a banquet Feast. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And he prepares a banquet for us. There's a banquet for us that, 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 that Jesus uh, has prepared. And so it says in 
of verse 23 at the end, they came no more into the land of Israel. And so a foreshadowing of the kind of love that would be fully full, uh, you know, brought to bear in the life of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, we studied that last week on Sunday mornings. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. It means when, when evil falls uh, upon someone. And again, what did we say about that? You know, if, some, if evil falls uh, on someone that we love or even someone that we don't know uh, of, uh, we don't rejoice on, in that, but do we rejoice when iniquity, when evil falls on someone who is an enemy, someone who has uh, mocked us, someone who has maybe killed our, our children or killed our, our, our relatives, or, and which the Syrians had. <laughs> They'd killed many, many Israelites. And, and, and just the, the carnal reaction of people, it's like, this is awesome. We have the enemy, and evil has fallen upon them. We should be rejoicing. We should be partying this. But, um, uh, but, but 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not rejoice in iniquity, even when our enemies are, are, are falling uh, into an evil place. And so you have this foreshadowing of a love that you really don't see fulfilled until Christ. For, again, uh, agape love, uh, not in the Greek vocabulary uh, to speak of, outside of the New Testament. This is a, um, um, a, a concept, a reality that was introduced by Christ. And so it says in verse 24, uh, I just love this story. Not the beginning of it, though. It's pretty gory at the beginning, but it has a good ending. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army, and he went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged until a donkey's head, that's what they were eating during this famine, was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings, again, that's what they were eating, for five shekels of silver. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord does not help you, where can I find, for, what, where can I find help for you? From the fre uh, threshing floor or from the wine press? Meaning he doesn't know where any food is, and he's in distress himself about what to do. Verse 28. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. And so we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Verse 30, Now it happened when the king heard these, uh, the words of the woman that he tore his clothes as he passed by on the wall. The people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. And then he said, God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. And so, um, you know, here you uh, have this situation where, uh, where there is a, a tremendous famine in the land. And again, why was there famine? There was famine because God was merciful. God did not want these people to spend eternity in hell apart from him. He wanted them to repent. So there was famine in the land. It was an act of mercy. And uh, because, again, they, were, they, were, they had gone after foreign gods, and that involved every kind of licentious practice, uh, ritualized prostitution, child sacrifice, just gory, 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 uh, pagan idol worship. Now, Deuteronomy 28, in Deuteronomy 28, Moses, on the plains of Moab overlooking the Promised Land, remember Moses didn't get into the Promised Land, but he reminded them of the law before they went in. And he also reminded them of the blessings that would happen in their life 
if they decided to follow the Lord, if they follow the Lord, but also of the curses that would happen. And one of them, indeed, was that they would, they would have such judgment and their, their sin, there would be such terrible consequences to their sin, they, they'd, they'd come to the point where they would have to eat one another. Terrible, terrible prophecy, prophecy of doom. Deuteronomy 28, and I believe Leviticus 26. And here you have it. Here it's happening. Uh, here. And as is always the case <laughs> when uh, bad things happen because of someone's own sin, who gets blamed? Who gets blamed? God and the people of God. He says, God do so to me and more also with the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him. Really interesting for a guy who is pretending to repent. He's got sackcloth on him, and sackcloth was that really scratchy kind of thing. And, um, you know, you go around on it, and you, you go around with it on you, and it's, it's a sign that you're repenting. You know, Pharaoh, back in Egypt, when, when after one of the plagues, he went to Moses, and he said, I have sinned. But there wasn't real repentance. <laughs> it wasn't real repentance. And here you, you, you see someone who is going around. He's humbling himself incredibly. I mean, uh, let's face it, a king uh, dressed up in the most expensive garments at the time. And, and you know, at that time, uh, clothes and garments were just real expensive. A lot of times they were very rare. Uh, and there was an incredible act, in a way, of humility here. But there was no brokenness in his heart. How do we know that? He goes after God and the people of God. And this is so often the time when someone uh, is suffering the terrible consequences of their sin, and they're sort of crying big old elephant tears. And to an outside observer, to the world, it looks like, wow, they're really turning their life around. But towards God, there's no change of behavior. You see no declaration on the part of this king after he sees this cannibalism. You know, we need to return to the Lord. We need to return to Jehovah. We have, we have as a nation, forsaken him, the God who took us out of slavery and brought us into the promised land and established us as a kingdom. We were a little band of, uh, of people, of 70 people who went down to Egypt we went out with three million, and he brought us out, and he protected us. We need to return to him. None of that. What happened in Nineveh when Jonah went in there? In 40 days, God's going to destroy this city. That was a pagan nation. What did the king do? He repented. He announced repentance. Here you have the king of Israel refusing to do that very thing, refusing to do that very thing. And... Um, so the repentance wasn't, uh, wasn't real. And uh, I just can't help myself. I, have to, I feel like I have to read uh, these th three verses out of 2 Corinthians chapter 7 at least once every few months because it's, this, this is a description of godly repentance. And I just love this, this definition here in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, verse 7. For godly sorrow produces repentance uh, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. You see, the world will be very sorry uh, when it starts experiencing the consequences of its sin. But it's, it's a sorrow, it says there, that actually leads to death. Verse 11, for observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourself. What indignation, what fear, what vehement desire. What zeal, what, what vindication. And so, you know, as, as a pastor, so, uh, you know, we get both types here. People come in and there's worldly repentance and people come in uh, and there's godly repentance. And, 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 you know, it's like one of those things, you can't describe it un until you see it. But uh, someone who is, is, is really repentant, it's just totally obvious. You don't have to wonder 
whether or not there's repentance taking place in their life because there's indignation, there's zeal, there's, I like, you know, the word fear there, there's vehement desire, there's, there's vindication. What, it says what diligence it produced in you to clear yourself. And you, of course, don't see any of that uh, in Elisha, I mean, in, in the king here. And uh, God forbid, let this be a warning to our heart. Let this be a warning to our heart that our repentance, because remember, the Christian life is a, a life of repentance. Isaiah says, and, and repentance and rest is our salvation. It's a way of life that it would be godly uh, repentance. So he, he, he goes after not only Elisha, he goes after his head. Pretty unbelievable thing for uh, this king who probably about 10 years earlier had, uh, had seen this incredible miracle, miracle where Elisha blinds, through his prayer, blinded an entire army. And so how soon the carnal heart forgets about the Lord. Verse 32, but Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him before the messenger came to him. He said to the elders, do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? Verse 33, and while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Wow. So he recognizes the calamity is from the Lord. The judgment is from the Lord. But he's still refusing to forsake his like life of wickedness. Verse, chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. In other words, there's going to be a ton of food at this time tomorrow. Wow. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? So Elisha said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat it. Unbelief sometimes has pretty dire consequences. And so this guy does not believe uh, the word of the Lord. And so he's going to have to suffer the consequences of that. And so here, Elisha, he has a word of knowledge. He knows that the king is coming, and he knows that he's coming to uh, get his head. No such things as text messages in that day. You know, someone hears uh, the king say, uh, you know, God do so to me, uh, uh, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him, no guy's text messaging, you know, Elisha, hey, they're coming to take your head off. No, this was a word of knowledge. And so, um, and, and here you have, uh, here you have, to me, again, I don't want you to lose sight of this, that you have, you have Elisha, you have the Lord bringing an end to the famine. And you just have to ask yourself, why? This is generation after generation after generation of just the, the worst form of rebellion and evil. God still has not given up on Israel. Israel will never be able, not one of these people, men or women, who... Uh, lived in the, the, the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes, will be able to say to the Lord on judgment day, well, you know, uh, you didn't give me a chance. No, the Lord uh, goes over and over and over again and, 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 and trying to woo these people back. And so he predicts this uh, wonderful uh, end uh, to, this, to this terrible famine. And so here's where things start getting really good. Verse 3. Now, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? 
If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. Remember, the Syrians had forgotten about the mercy that had been extended to them probably a dozen years earlier. Uh, maybe they're under a new king, Ben-Hadad, and so they're, they're right back. They're right back there. Uh, you know, ready to attack. And so they have surrounded uh, the Israelite city of, some, of Samaria, and these four, you have these four lepers out there. And they're like, you know, what is the point of sitting around here? You know, the, the lepers weren't allowed in the city. In the city, they used to throw out garbage outside the city gate, and these lepers used to, to live off that. But there's no more garbage. There's no more food. And they come to the conclusion, well, why are we sitting here and do we die? We're just going to die here. We must, might as well just go to the enemy and, and throw ourselves um, at their mercy. Verse 5, and so they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has uh, uh, hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And so it uh, doesn't say so, but who do you think that the noise was? the noise of chariots and the noise of horses. Where do you think that noise is coming from? Yeah, that's right, the host, the same host that uh, earlier Elisha had uh, prayed that his the servant's eyes would be opened up and he saw this tremendous host. That's probably indeed uh, exactly what it is. And verse, uh, verse 8 says, And when the lepers came to the outskirts of the city, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came and back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until uh, morning light, some punishment will come upon us. So now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. And so, uh, really wonderful application here to our lives. You know, what a, a great place that someone comes to when they, in their lives, you know, they're, they're a Christian, they've come to know the Lord, but they're, you know, they're sort of on the autopilot thing, and they, but they come to the place where the Lord has brought them to the place where they say in their heart, why am I just sitting around here until I die? I mean, I go to work, I go to school, I come home, I watch the news, I watch TV, and the next morning I just start the same thing. And the Lord has been prompting me to do this. The Lord's put this one dream or vision in my heart. I've never gotten around to it. I just, you know, and, 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 and you know, that realization that someone comes to in their life that, man, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get to be 80 years old or whatever and look back at my life and it's just all going to be, be, be worthless. Why, you know, what's the point of just sitting around here doing what I'm doing, wasting my life until I die? And, and, and I just, you know, never forget having that, those very same sort of thoughts in my life and at the, really, at the very beginning of, uh, of my, my walk with the Lord, just thinking, wait a second, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to just sit around until I die. 
I want to live my life for the Lord. I want my life to mean something. Uh, you know, I want to build up, build up treasure uh, in heaven. And so, you know, uh, we are believers. But how many of us are really people of faith? And, you know, faith means you step out and you put into practice, you know, what the Lord ha ha has put on your heart. Faith moves out. Faith moves out. And, and so um, the one thing that is, uh, you know, the, the one thing that so often uh, inhibits people is, is that fear thing. You know, they, they fear what will happen if they just venture out in faith. And, you know, the, these lepers, they, there, was, there was an army, uh, people who hated Israel, who killed Israelites. It was like a good thing, killing Israelites. That's what they did. And, and, and just like the Syrians, so many of us, the Lord has put something on our heart to, to do and become and a, a vision or a dream. And, but there's just fear, you know, what happens if I fail? You know, uh, the fear of failure has, has, has prevented so many people from just experiencing what the call of God is on their life. I, I just remember... Um, you know, when uh, Steffi and I were in Miami, uh, it's about, actually about almost exactly 11 years ago, and uh, I, was, I was born up here, moved away when I was nine, and came back summers, and uh, when I got saved when I was 24, I really, within a year, really felt I needed to come up to Boston, and, and you know, it initially tried to do it, but uh, the Lord closed the doors, but... Um, you know, clearly he kept that call, uh, you know, on my life and uh, never got it out of my mind. And uh, for about five or six years went by, and, and all of a sudden it became very apparent, uh, look, there's those Syrians up there in Boston. You need to go up there. You know, just don't sit around here until you die. You need to, you'll, you're going to die if you just sit around here, whatever, 50 years from now never having done what I told you to do. And I can't tell you how much fear there was that I would fail, that, that it was just almost debilitating, that even, if, even trying to find a job up here, yeah, I, I literally, I, I went to a couple people t talking to them about you know, finding a job up here, and, and I, I, I had one guy who, who told me, just don't even bother, not with the kind of work that you do. They, you can't go from one state to another uh, and do that. And, you know, so many other discouraging, fearful signs. And, and it was just, and I was like, you know, what if I send out all these resumes and I go up and interview and, and then I just don't get anything? I'm just going to feel like a, a failure, you know? And, you know, just carnal, fearful, you know, believe in the devil's lies kind of fear. And, 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 you know, fear keeps so many people from experiencing what the, the Lord uh, wants them to do. What a blessing it is in your life when God just finally really tells you, are you just going to sit around here and wait till you die? Or are you going to go out and be the man or woman of God that I've called you to be? And, and, and so... Uh, it, it, and that's really the, uh, the, the, the lesson that we learn here uh, from these lepers. And so uh, these, these lepers, they venture out, and uh, what do they find? Much, much more than food, in a way, uh, that God was going to use these four lepers as an instrument of his salvation uh, for the, the people of Israel. And so they find, they go into... I mean, you can just imagine this. This is the thing that you think about when you're a little kid. You know, wow, what if you went somewhere and you found, like, tons of treasure and stuff? Well, it actually happened to these people, and this is incredible. And I do love verse 9, though. Uh, they say, we're not doing right. King James Version says, we do not well. Because this day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait here until morning light, some calamity or punishment will come upon us. And the thing I like about that verse is just that fear of the Lord, which can be so healthy in our lives. 
as long as it, we have a proper fear of the Lord. Proper fear of the Lord is not fearing God like someone would fear an abusive father, but fearing God in the sense that he's, he's holy and he's just. And in this particular case, if they are withholding this news for one day, people were going to die as a result of this. And they sensed in their heart that they, they could very well be struck dead by the Lord. And, and, and I love that. That's a healthy fear of the Lord. Were they scared of God? No. But did they have a healthy fear of the consequences of, uh, of basically withholding in sin these glad tidings? Yes. And so a, a healthy fear of the Lord uh, here. And so in, in verse 10, so they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, we went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied in the tents intact. So, you know, the, the Syrians had just taken off, left all their food, all their belongings, gold, silver food, everything behind. Verse 11, and the, and the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. And, and, you know, when Elisha had given this, this prophecy in verse 1 of the same chapter, when he told the king, tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley uh, for a shekel at the gate of Samaria, who in the world could have ever figured out how God was going to, to answer this prayer? And, you know, it, it's so important that when we have some mountain of a trial in front of us, that we don't try to figure out how God's going to move it, move that mountain. <laughs> and, you know, I love that, that uh, video on prayer we've seen a couple times by Pastor Stimbola down at the Brooklyn Tabernacle where he, he said he was just, uh, uh, he, he was praying and um, and really struggling about what to teach on at this particular conference and studying for hours and hours and hours and hours. And finally, um, finally, the Lord told him, you haven't even prayed yet. And so he prayed. Within a matter of minutes, the Lord just poured out some wonderful message that has been played like all around the world, this thing. And so what, what can be done just if we, you know, God can figure out uh, through our prayer, just through praying, God can resolve a calamity like this in a matter of minutes, and this time it was a day. What man couldn't do if he spent months and months and years and years? I mean, man, you know, uh, how do we, what do we do with this famine? You know, we got to make irrigation canals from, uh, I don't know, the, the Sea of Galilee, and we got to do this and that, and and, but it's so, so important that we just pray because if we pray, the Lord can figure out a situation for us in, in two minutes or in a day. Well, it would take us months to do. And so who, would try, who could possibly figure out that the, that the Lord would, uh, would do this in the way that or how he would accomplish this prophecy? Verse 12, he says, So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that uh, we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And so the old sort of withdraw, you know, away from the city and then attack when you, you know, surprise them sort of deal here. And so I find it amazing in verse 12 that the king completely forgets what he heard the day before, uh, or even that very day, from Elisha. Elisha had told him that, look, tomorrow there's going to be plenty of food. You're now being told by these four lepers that there's plenty of food. And he doesn't believe it. Even after seeing a life of miracles by this guy, Elisha, by this prophet, Elisha. And so how strong unbelief is. How much it hardens our heart. That's why it's so dangerous, you know, uh, unbelief is. We need to just put our faith uh, in the word of the Lord. And so uh, these, these glorious uh, riches here. So the king 
And, and, and so one of the servants answered and says, please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. In other words, they'll just die. Or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. So we don't have a whole lot to lose. We're all going to die anyway. Let's just take five men on five horses. Go see if this is uh, true. The worst that could happen, they're going to be devoured. But that's going to happen to them whether they stay here uh, or they go. Verse 14, therefore they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan. And indeed, all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And so these four lepers uh, did what the Lord told them to do. They obeyed, the, they obeyed the, the word of the Lord. They went back and told the people. They could have, I suppose. They really could have. If these people, they probably still had, you know, the, the king was a wicked man, but apparently these lepers, uh, the, the poor people here, still knew something of Jehovah, the God of Israel. And uh, but, you know, in another place in time where God is not known, they may have just taken all these goods and moved away to some other city and enjoyed the fat of the fine for the rest of their life. But instead, they went back. And uh, they, they could have been wealthy, wealthy men for the rest of their lives beyond imagination. I don't know how long, you know, what stage of leprosy they had, but you know, apparently it wasn't that advanced. They were able to travel to and, th to and fro. Instead, they went back. And, and, you know, I do get concerned. <laughs> I get concerned, uh, you know, in the body of Christ and even in our own church that we get really fat on fellowship. We get really fat, you know, feasting on the word of God with one another. We see, and we get, um, you know, really good sort of just... Uh, uh, pigging out on all the blessings that, uh, that the Lord has given us. And oh, has he been so rich with us. And meanwhile, there's a, a world out there that's dying. I heard the other day that every time we breathe, four people slip into eternity without Jesus. And that's an amazing thing. And so, you know, we, uh, many in the body of Christ, they become sort of connoisseurs of sermons and sort of criticizers of, of critique, you know, the, the pastors and the, 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 the Bible studies out there or bopping from radio station to radio station, you know, who's the best preacher out there? Or, you know, what's this latest thing the Bible answer man has, the, the newest sort of heresy he's figured out somewhere on the other side of the world, you know, uh, great debaters on spiritual points. But are we sharing the word of the Lord? You know, this week I asked someone to lunch. <laughs> uh, and I just, I just told them, look, can we go to lunch just so I can talk to you about Jesus? And uh, the amazing thing is after you've developed a relationship with someone, they actually will say yes. Uh, but it was, just, it was just such a rich time. And... Uh, and I was thinking to myself, you know, you know, shame on me that I don't do this so much more. Shame on me. And, and you know, because sometimes uh, way too much time goes by where, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sharing my, uh, sharing my, my faith. And, and yet the Lord is faithful. Uh, if we're willing to go out and, and bring the glad tidings, uh, to people who are hurting. And believe me, I, I know what rejection is like. I, you know, I know, you know what it's like for people to, you know, you bring up a spiritual thing, they think you're out of your mind, and, you know, they've act, acted like, you know, 
you're a two-headed monster. You turn into a two-headed monster the way you'll, they look at you, and or else there's this kind of awkward moment where it's clear that, oh, whoa, this person has no interest in this. And, and you know, over time, that type of thing has the danger of hardening your heart and just shutting your mouth up. But, you know, I'm sure that these lepers were thinking to themselves, man, if I go back to Samaria, they are going to laugh at us. And some did, as we were, you know, as, um, uh, as we already saw. Some did. Some thought they were, were crazy. And so, but we have to be willing to be crazy um, to be, we have to be willing to be perceived as crazy. We have, we have to be willing to be ridiculed. And, it, and, and you know, it's, it, it certainly is not uh, easy. And so it says here, uh, and so it says they plundered, they plundered the, the, Syrian, um, the Syrian army. And so just a, according to the word of the Lord, uh, exactly how Elijah had said, uh, a sea of flour was sold for a shekel, verse 16, and two seas of barley for a shekel. Now the king had appointed the officer on, who, on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, but the people trampled him in the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two seas of barley for a shekel, and a sea of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow at this time in the gate of Samaria. Then the officer had uh, had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing take place? And he had said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. It so happened, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. So the man who back in, uh, what was it, verse, verse was that? Oh, yeah, verse 2, who who doubted the prophetic word of Elisha. Elisha says, you'll see it, but you will not eat of it. Indeed, he was trampled, and he died. He was not able to eat. Um, he was not able to eat of the plunder uh, that they would get from the Syrians. So here, uh, we need to be careful that our unbelief doesn't lead us to the place where we're getting trampled over. And unbelief will do that. <laughs> unbelief will do that in your life. And you need to trust the word of the Lord. You need to trust the word of the Lord. And so here, a continued faithfulness of God to the nation of Israel in spite of all their rebellion. And it will just continue uh, next week when we pick up in, in chapter 8. So... Tonight we are going to be having uh, a time of prayer and uh, after uh, 15 minutes after we close the service and uh, actually this evening, why don't we, um, why don't we pray for uh, Serge in Haiti again. If you guys could look out for his daughter who comes in the morning, her name's Dina. One of the reasons, by the way, I was impressed by Serge, she started a Calvary Chapel in Haiti started earlier this year. I was impressed by him because uh, he had a daughter coming to our service every Sunday, and she was a freshman in, in college at MIT. And that says a lot to me about him. <laughs> and she, was br she brings people, too. Uh, and so that impressed me. And, and when I found out what her dad did, that he was actually starting a Calvary Chapel in Haiti, and he was looking for support, I'm like, I want to participate with whatever this guy's doing. <laughs> And so uh, uh, he, he, sent, um, he sent Sue, Sue Mantel, a, uh, a prayer request. Sue is, is going to be facilitating sort of the prayer ministry when it comes to our missions. And, and he wants to pray, he wants to praise that the security continues to improve in Haiti. Speaking of the Syrian army, to pray about going to Haiti next year. Uh, but he can, prays that the security continues to improve uh, there, and, and he says this is huge. Uh, and, and then he says, um, uh, and also uh, he's saying he now has live music with four musicians and four sing, uh, singers during the Sunday church services. So that's awesome. A brand new, a brand new uh, church uh, has a great worship band there. And so we can pray for that. 
and uh, and then they they also want to to start a Sunday evening service, so they want a prayer request for that, and they're also just getting started on a Wednesday night service. They're going through Genesis, so great to be able to participate in that in prayer. Uh, if you uh, need to leave after the service, please do. There's no pressure at all to st stick around in prayer. We are going to be praying as one group, uh, men and women, about 50 minutes after the service. But before we uh, end the service, I wanted to um, I wanted to, to say. Uh, to actually bring Michael up here. Michael, get up here. Get up here, man. Michael Lacoma. He has been with us for, um, he's been with us for, how long have you been? 